Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Malamud. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was now that I talk to Elliot regularly. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. Okay, here with Elliot, we're doing podcast, a podcast about Passover. This might be one of two or three, etc. We're just going to start here. This one is entitled The Four Sons. Go for it. So, yes, you know that one of the centerpieces of the Seder is the discussion about the four sons. And I was thinking to myself, I wonder what son Yessie likes. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a fave? My favorite son is the Wicked Son. Yeah, me too. But you know what's really cool about the Wicked Son? If you read the story of the Haggadah, basically his family tells him why he's wrong. And they say, uh, smack him around so he knows he's wrong. So there's a good thing that happens. First of all, if you get through the smacking around part, you're done because you don't appear for the rest of the Seder. Apparently, you are either you either leave or once they get the aggression out of them, everyone goes back to, to the story. But to me, it's like a, a great comedian once said, if you're going to get married, do it in the morning. That way, if it doesn't work out, you haven't wasted the whole day. So I like the fact that the story of the four sons comes pretty much at the beginning, because if you discover you're not wanted at the table, you can get out quickly. You don't have to waste a whole night with these people. That's very efficient. Well, I think there is something to be said about, did anyone ask how these four children would respond? Let's look at it. The wise son is being praised for being the wise son and the, the observant and obedient son. He's not going anywhere. The one who is the simple son... Uh, he, he, he really is not fully aware of what the conversation is, but you're bringing him into it, you're teaching him. He's not going anywhere. He isn't, nothing's happened. The one who doesn't even know how to ask is like, he, he wouldn't even know how to get from A to B. So the only one that's the anomaly in that story, the only one who's like emotionally mobile is the wicked one because stuff happens to him. He is the center of attention. He's the one that focuses everyone's anger. He's the one that highlights to everyone what would have happened if everyone was like him, the wicked son. So he is the centerpiece of the emotional dialogue at the Seder. Yeah, he sets everything off. Everything. There's this idea in psychology called the identified patient. It's the, it's the kid in the family who um, has always been the difficult one, but it's also the one in the family who is the most honest one, like tells the family secrets and, uh, and, and you know, is not going to just like turn away when stuff happens. And in a way, is the emotional key to the family. And that's the way I think about this wicked child, this supposedly wicked child. First of all, for the life of me, I don't know what he did to be called wicked. He just asked, what's going on? Why, why is this meaningful for you? What, what are you doing? And they just, really, the rabbis just turned on him. <laughs> You know, because in the Bible, when he asks the question, he gets a fairly normative answer. And they plucked him out and they said, oh, well, if you're asking that question, you know, you must be a bad guy. And so we're going to take care of you. 
I hadn't really thought about it. It's interesting you mentioned, like, where would he go from here? Would he stay at the table just to taunt everybody else? Um, would he leave? Do you think they want to get rid of him? Do you think they just, like, uh, we do this so you'll leave? Well, it doesn't say it doesn't say get rid of him. It says... Smack his teeth. Blunt his teeth. Smack yeah, his yeah. teeth. Um, maybe it's the symbolic knock him down a peg, whatever it is. Right. It's not get rid of him. It's just make it clear that his style or his attitude is not the appropriate or prevailing attitude at the table. So shame him. Shame him, make him feel uncomfortable, or or redirect him to subservience. And we're shaming him in front of everybody else. It's in front of everybody. You know what has always struck me about The Wicked Child is that we're, we're this is supposed to be a centerpiece, the Haggadah of education, of like how you talk to children about religion. I don't know any educator, I don't know any responsible educator, I don't know any responsible parent who would ever treat a child the way the Haggadah treats the wicked son. Like, is this supposed to be some kind of paradigm or model for how you treat troubled children? It's interesting because if there's not a teacher you could come to, if the kid was difficult, you would do this to him. You would find a different way. So I have an insight for you that maybe is laughable or maybe it's really good. And here's it's a bit starts with a bit of grammar. If you say, and you shall tell bincha, which means your son. If you change that word bincha into banecha, means your children. It doesn't exclude the girls at the table. The way that they they subtly want to create a truth about education and about the story is that they want to be able to take the one child, which was your son in the text, tell your son, and turn it into your children. And what they do is they actually take your child and make them into four personalities. Yeah, they split them four ways. Right. But it's more than that. It's not that your child has four personalities. It's that your child has four personalities at the same time. Your child can be wise, wicked, simple, and unknowing all at once. And they are not contradictory. That is actually the height of great education, is to be able to have mixed emotions about a child all at once and still be a great leader for them. So you're lauding your child for knowing the answer, for being part of it. You're frustrated because they don't get the attitude they're supposed to have. You're, you know, kind of off-put by the fact that they seem to have no real comprehension. And there's the worst case scenario where they're totally zoned out. And that can happen in the course of one little conversation. And yet at the same time, here's the answer about education is that the Seder puts the children in the center of the story. They are the centerpiece. We stop everything to say, hey, let's talk about how we speak to our children. All our children. All four of them. We don't just speak to one or the other. Now, Blunt his teeth. It's an aggressive language. But it's still at the same time, it doesn't bother me as much if you don't take it literally. It's more like learn how to buffer your child so they don't engage in their aggression and that becomes their personality. You have to find a way to push back. I mean, but it does devolve into a certain kind of insult. They're telling him, you know what, dude? If you'd been in Egypt... You wouldn't have been redeemed. You'd have been stuck there. Right. But there, there, you, have to, you have to be willing to sort of subvert the dialogue by looking at the text they've chosen upon which to build the dialogue. And the text they've chosen 
is a banal text. In, in, in its real context, it's a positive text. And the fact that they've taken four texts and built around that these four children is another way of saying this is really a human story because people will always put their own needs onto the text, not the other way around. Right, it's an act of imagination for them. It's a Rorschach. If you look at the illustrated Haggadot down through the ages, that tells you really a story because what, whatever the conception of Jewish culture was at any particular time about what is goodness, what is evil, what is simplicity, and what is inarticulateness will come out in the pictures. So I have seen Haggadot with a wicked child portrayed as a kind of a Roman soldier. Anything to do with aggressiveness is wicked. So there are soldiers. There was a Haggadah in the 1920s of a, a boxer as a wicked son. There's the Chicago Haggadah of 1879 where the wicked son seems to be at the head of the table. It looks like he's smoking a cigarette at the Seder and is generally, you know, portrayed as nefarious. One of my favorite uh, is where he's wearing lederhosen and, uh, and like a, a, a leather cap with a big feather in it, like uh, he was some kind of uh, dilettante, you right, know? Like, right, uh, right, right. There are dilettantish pictures of, of wicked children. Whatever, whatever a culture considers to be, like, not Jewish. But, but uh, let, so let's just, let's just go to the question of what would be the wicked child of today? If somebody wants to illustrate a Haggadah today, well, uh, depends where you start. In one community, it could be the anti-Zionist or the Zionist. It could be the pro-Palestinian Jew or the not or the anti. Like, it could be in in all our worlds. Now we are forced to ask ourselves: Who is the wicked? Who is the wise? Who is the simple? And which child do we prefer? So, guess what, Elliot? It's actually become one of the most relevant conversations at a Seder table without linking it to a specific behavior. Because the it's such a milk toast conversation about, well you said, what is this? And the other one said, this is great, and that's a that's a cause for war. The answer is most of our differences are probably very narrow and very simple. But this clearly provides a vanilla com a vanilla context for a very difficult conversation, but it keeps changing in every generation hence the need to have sort of a, an abstract idea. So in our modern generation, it could be as simple as uh, ultra-Orthodox versus secular, but it could also be Hasidic versus other Hasidic. They see themselves at war often. I mean, you look at Chabad Satmar, the historic battles between the Litvaks and the, and the Hasidic Jews. I mean, there's... There are obviously manifold examples of what people consider wicked. To me, what's problematic here is that you're trying to incorporate a philosophy of what you do to this child, and you're importing it into 2020. And in 2020, educational theory is not is not geared that way. What I mean specifically is that the Haggadah is telling me this kid is irredeemable. Now, if you talk to people in education, one of the last places they're ever going to go with a kid is to say, irredeemable. They'll go lots of other places with that kid. They'll say, he's got trouble, he's got this, he's got that, we gotta work with this, we got we, you know, maybe he needs medication, maybe he needs therapy, maybe he needs a specialized program, an individualized program. They'll go all the way around the world before they will say, child is irredeemable. So it is a problem because the messaging of the Haggadah is telling me that there are kids out there that if they don't adopt the right religious stance, or God forbid, they ask a question that somehow can be interpreted as nefarious, that kid is irredeemable. And that makes it problematic. I mean, in other words, 
if you, I agree with you that it is abstract and you can play with it and you can mold it into what you want. I suspect that's what we do now. I suspect that we actually don't really take seriously the messaging that the wicked kid gets and we write our own kind of modern midrashim about like who this kid might be and how you might respond to him. I get that. I mean, the, the, the funniest one is uh, Shlomo Karabach and his Haggadah saying, ah, you know what? The wicked kid's not so wicked. He just didn't have anyone to believe in him. That's like a very modern kind of statement. There's no wicked children. There's no irredeemable children. There's just children who, you know, somebody didn't have faith in them. And that, I think, would resonate with a, with a modern reader. But if you get too literal about it, I think you get lost. Well, I also think that the only way that this child becomes wicked is it's declarative. Someone has to decide that you're the wicked one. Yes. And that is really ultimately the issue, is who do you assign to which text? And the answer is, maybe you shouldn't assign your kids to text. Maybe you should just look at them as banim, just children, as opposed to saying, girl, boy, good, bad. You're right. If, if they were irredeemable, they would not have gone out of Egypt. But everyone went out of Egypt. And, oh, the ones who didn't go out of Egypt, well, what do we care? They didn't make it out. We don't know what really went on there. We don't even know why people did or did not leave Egypt. In an, age, in an age of assimilation, I think it's noteworthy that this kid, wicked or otherwise, is actually there. <laughs> he's bothered to show up. He's well, at the table. He's at he's, the table. Yeah. He, he's, at, he's at the table asking a question, which is like mind-blowing. Because, you know, we've all had the Seder experience where you had the, you know, the extended family and the extended family brought, you know, their... Um, dog walker, whatever it is. Right. And they're all sort of sitting at the end of the table. They're bored. They're hungry. They're not engaged. They're not asking questions. Do I prefer that? Do I prefer the sort of contemporary version of ennui and malaise to the wicked child actually in there asking a question? I certainly don't prefer it. I prefer the wicked child 100 times out of 100 to that, to that kind of disinterest and apathy. I think wicked children of the world should revel in their wickedness. <laughs> because without us, the Seder would not be complete. That's what I think. Elliot, we're done. I'm sorry for screaming at you for the last half hour, but it was, I learned something. That's okay. I don't mind you screaming. Did you learn anything? I learned that you scream at me a little bit. <laughs> I want to thank everyone who listened. Please send us your feedback at hello at livingjewishly.org. We would absolutely love to hear from you.